Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 52 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I'll be picking the brain of a man who was the lead international kidnapping negotiator for the FBI. Chris Voss was also a member of the New York City Joint Terrorist Task Force for 14 years and has been involved in some of the most famous hostage situations. In fact, he was the one that negotiated the surrender of the first hostage taker to give up in the Chase Manhattan bank robbery. Chris was trained in the art of negotiation by not only the FBI, but also Scotland Yard and Harvard Law School. He is now teaching business negotiation at the University of Southern California and has recently published a groundbreaking book called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depends on It. Chris, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Daniel, thank you very much. It's my pleasure for being here. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this should be a lot of fun, especially because I always thought I was the best negotiator in town. <laughs> you got me on your show. Yeah, I know. I did, right? Right? Now, I, the, yeah. thing is, the thing is, Chris, is I, I normally start the show with saying, hi, Chris, welcome to the show. And you know, can you tell us a little bit about your background? What's your story? How did you grow up? But I feel like I'm tempted to skip all that and just get right into the bank robbery. You know what I mean? Like, That's cool. I mean, we, we can get to your background soon, but I feel like people are listening, listening to this going, what, hold on a second, he negotiated in a hostage takeover in a bank? Let's get into that, yeah. man, right? So, all right, yeah. Can, can we go back there? I mean, can you, can you take us back to that day and I guess describe, you know, what happened? Well, yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of crazy because I was actually scheduled to do another interview that day. And uh, one of my partners came walking in the office. He said, hey, there's a bank robber in Brooklyn. I think there's hostages. Let's go. Well, what date was so this? Jumped- I just want to get an idea of what, what's the date. When was this? This was in the dark ages, man. This was <laughs> in the era before cell phones and the internet. No way. This was back in 1993, the dark ages. Mm-hmm. You know, we rode around on horses and we had buggies and <laughs> yeah. six shooters, you know, all of that. Wore cowboy hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're aging yourself now, Chris. Yeah, but, you know, it was, uh, uh, what kind of a day was it? It was a day like any other day. Hmm. You know, other than the there was no instantaneous communication, you know, the problems are all the same. The human nature challenges are all the same. I, and I, I, would, I would contend that, you know, take the guns out of a bank where robbery with hostages and you just got a monday morning staff meeting with the boss yeah and here in brooklyn the boss had taken hostages we had a manipulative self-absorbed uh and if i were to call him manipulative again it would be a redundancy in terms but (laughs) he actually he was he was extremely calm and he had talked, there were uh, two other people involved in a bank robbery with him. They actually thought they were going out to burglarize the cash machine. They didn't know that he planned on taking hostages from the very beginning. So oh my this goodness. was a clever cat. He was a clever dude. Hmm. What was his name? Do you remember his name? Well, you know, one indicator of how smart he was, his first name happened to be Chris also. <laughs> oh, that must have been confusing. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't get his name till later on. I mean... Um, Right. The bank robbery had gone on for about five hours, and he wouldn't tell us what his name was. And it's actually, when you don't give up your name, hmm. you know, our first name is precious to us. Yeah. And if you don't give up your name to the person you're talking to, it's actually it's a great means of manipulating the other person. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to establish a bond with someone who won't give you their name. And and he wouldn't give us his name. He, 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 tried, to, he tried to disguise his voice. Uh, he he disguised. He actually taught me one of my first lessons in business negotiation. In that, if you're talking to a guy who keeps claiming there are other people involved, they can't make a decision. Mm. They actually actively make themselves look powerless. Yeah. You are talking to an influential guy. Mm. If they are in love with plural pronouns and they're always talking about, and I had one person tell me this one time: the people outside the room that are affecting the decision. 
And that's what this guy was. He kept telling us, you know, I'm worried about these other guys. These other guys are more dangerous than I am. Mm. You know, oh, oh I got to go real quick because the mm. other guys are coming. Mm. It was it was a it was a brilliant manipulation technique on his on his part, and uh, he never gave it up. He actually, I actually about five hours into the, the bank robbery, mm-hmm. we had figured out what it, who he was, and uh, I confronted him with with his name, and um, you know, and I and I let him off the hook. It was one one of my, another one of my big lessons because, you know, no no, if you ask somebody a closed ended question where you want them to say yes, if, if they could say no, they'll say no. Hmm. So I, you know, his name was, the uh, guy's name was Chris Watts. And I said, are you Chris Watts? And it was stupid on my part. Cause he said, no, <laughs> uh, I, uh, right. you know, right. I, I never should have asked him that like that. Right. Um, right. and you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a heck of a day. He, he I- surrendered 12 hours later. We talked about, oh my God. So you, you sat for 12 hours. How were you communicating with him? You know, we, we got in there. We, um, we set up in a bank, uh, directly across the street. Oh, uh, which you was too up, close. Say that, say that again. You set up in a bank. Yeah, there was there was another bank right across the street, and it okay. was a narrow little street. Mm-hmm. It was a, a, a section of Brooklyn that's a mixed use commercial residential area. Okay. So the main streets and the main street was Seventh Seventh uh, Avenue. Um, was a, uh, a a broader street, and the side street because it was right on the corner, Carroll. Uh, it was um, was a narrow street. Mm. And this is another thing this guy did to manipulate everybody early on because he knew, you know, if you take a bank robbery, if you do a bank robbery and you get caught inside in New York City, <laughs> in very short order, you're going to be surrounded by the seventh largest standing army in the world. Mm-hmm. NYPD, 40,000 strong. Uh, guns that, you know, would shoot through trucks. Snipers that would shoot you from three blocks away. So paint the picture for so, us, Chris. There were How many cops was, were there? How many snipers? What was the situation? How many hostages? Um, you know, there was a total of three hostages inside. There was two women, two women and a man, a, a, a 60-year-old security guard, mm-hmm. and two young ladies that the bank robbers beat up when they first took over. Okay. Um, the combined forces of the NYPD and the FBI of New York City turned out in mass. Whoa. So... You know, there were probably easily 300 cops and FBI at, wow. at, at a minimum. And you were the guy who basically had the only authority to speak to the, uh, to the, to the um, what's it called, the, um, the, ro- the bank robber? The bad guy. The yeah. technical term is the bad yeah, guy. The bad guy. I was trying to come up with a, te- I was going to say terrorist, but he's not really a terrorist necessarily. But yeah, I hear that. Yeah, so you- I, well, it, it was a team effort. And um, I was actually the second negotiator on the phone. The first guy didn't get anywhere, okay. which is not necessarily a bad thing because he didn't make it any worse. You know, he let he, he he caused a lot of time to go by. We got we got enough time to wear the other side out a little bit, and we had enough time to find out the name of, of one of the guys that we thought was inside. What did he so, want? What did the bank robber want exactly? Well, and this was another brilliant move on his part. Uh, uh, he, uh, while he wanted to get away, what he got, what he asked for was before we got there, and we didn't know that he did this. So before we get them on an isolated phone line, mm-hmm. he calls the local precinct and says, "Hey, I'm one of the bank robbers in the bank, and we want to surrender." Okay, which is a lie, right? Um, he says that though because he thinks that we'll show up very relaxed you know mm-hmm. it's less likely that somebody's going to have an itchy trigger finger if you think from the very beginning the people on the inside are going to give up which is exactly what happened okay um so we show up you know command staff is half paying attention because they think all they got to do is show up and get ready to pose for the newspapers <laughs> and as stupid as that sounds it actually uh just earlier that same year there'd been the first hijacking of an airplane in the United States in 17 years. And a a Lufthansa plane had landed at JFK earlier that year. Mm -hmm. And the hijacker, once he took over the plane said, I want you to fly me to the United States. The plane was not supposed to go to the U S fly me to the U S and I'll surrender, which is exactly what happened. Right. And so it's not like that this wasn't without precedent in New York city. 
Right. So, you know, this guy is much smarter than that. He's a manipulative guy. So he knows that if, if he calls and calls a local precinct and says, I want to give up, uh, everybody will relax. So mm. we get there and what he says, or he says, all right, here's my surrender plan. <laughs> he says, put a van out front, myself and my, my co-workers, so to speak, my colleagues, the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> us and the hostages are going to jump in a van and we will drive to the precinct to surrender. And that was his proposed surrender plan. Now, that ain't a surrender plan. That's an escape plan. He wants a set of wheels and he's going to make a run for it. Right. Um, but by the time we've set, you know, two hours after the bank alarm goes on is when is when we set up uh, the negotiation. So, again, you've got commanders that are half paying attention. They're not paying attention to his surrender plan. The only thing they paid attention to was a guy who wants to give up. So, you know, he, he was he was a great tactician. He knew what he was doing from the very beginning. So when you got on the phone with him for the very first time, what's the first thing you said to him? Well, I get on the phone and I, you know, I go into my late night FM DJ voice. <laughs> Why? It's very calming and soothing. Because I know there's a part of your brain, we've all got mirror neurons in our brain. And I can flip an emotional switch in your brain with my tone of voice so if i if i'm if i'm in a good mood and i'm smiling and i'm really happy you can mm. actually hear the smile in my voice and a part of your brain will smile back even if you're a so, terrorist even if you're a terrorist it's an unconscious response that's why they call them mirror neurons wow so i know that those mirror neurons are there and as soon as i start to talk calmly and softly which you are you know you and your listeners you guys are almost feeling like going to sleep as soon as i do yeah. that hey chris don't put my listeners to sleep right we're gonna don't put that yeah wake <laughs> up everybody everybody wake hostage up now yeah hostage yeah but i i know and when i'm in a contentious negotiation like if you're in a deal where you got to throw something out on the table you know the other side isn't gonna like Mm -hmm. All you got to do is go into your late night FM DJ voice. All right, Chris. So he asked for a van. van. So he asked for a van. And what do you say? So I say, you know, I, I give him a version of how we're supposed to do that. What do you mean how Which, you're supposed to do that? I want a van. Get me a van. How hard is it for you to get me a van? Right. And so, so that's actually the per perfect response. Right. Because what you don't do... In, in any situation is often more important than what you do do. And what you didn't do when I said that and what he didn't do is he didn't hang up. Mm. You just, so in the other words, you're, you're saying that you, your number one goal is to keep me on the phone. Keep me on the phone and actually make you feel in charge because a good how question to the other side feels very deferential, but it actually burdens the other side. And what I'm trying to do is now I'm trying to very intentionally wear this guy out and make him feel in charge simultaneously and and that's 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 what we got to do that's that's what you do in any contentious negotiation control mm. a donald trump you know we have uh, donald trump on the phone i'm so glad you donald brought him up <laughs> <laughs> today guys it's election day and guess what chris voss is going to tell us how i'm going to give you a little test here chris you ready for this one yeah i'm ready all right I don't usually get political on the show because I, I, I'm not so into politics. But uh, today is election day and I wanted to sort of, you know, throw this one out at you. If you were a Hillary Clinton supporter, okay, and you don't have to say who you're supporting. That's not, that doesn't matter. But if you were a Hillary Clinton supporter, how would you negotiate with a Trump supporter and vice versa? Well, you start by recognizing the things that they like. So... You say if if you're a Trump supporter, you 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 believe that the system is out of control, and if you believe the system is out of control, you feel the system is unfair. So you can say to a Trump supporter, "It sounds like you believe in fairness, right?" Because from their perspective, and again, it, it doesn't matter what I think of their position. What matters is what they think of their position. Mm -hmm. And they believe that the system has gotten very unfair. They believe that Washington is broken and Washington is corrupt. So if you're angry about corruption, then you believe very strongly in honesty.
again, we we're not talking about whether or not any of this makes sense. Yeah. Or whether or not it's hypocritical for a guy to refuse to re-release his tax return (laughs) and then say, but I believe that the system is broken and corrupt. Mm. And you want to, you want to point out, you might want to point out and and any negotiation, the last thing you want to do is point out the inconsistencies in somebody's behavior. It's not going to do anybody any good. It's going to make them mad and it's going to make you feel more smug and self-satisfied, which is going to make them even madder. You know, so the idea you negotiate, I believe you negotiate with people first. So what we're looking for is uh, basically is emotional common ground, not life common ground. You know, oh, you from Iowa? I'm from Iowa. I grew up in Iowa. You from a small town? You Italian? You're Irish? Whatever you are. That's (laughs) life common ground. Okay. We're looking for emotional common ground, what we believe in together. And that's what creates coalitions. And what Trump has said and also what Donald or what Hillary says is she talks about her beliefs and then there becomes a coalition around what she believes. Mm. Because if you're looking to point out hypocrisy, if you think Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are the only hypocritical politicians in the United States, then you are living in a fantasy world. <laughs> right. Right. So it's it's the it's the beliefs that they want people to resonate about. So what are the beliefs? If you believe in Donald Trump, you believe you believe that uh, America has values. You believe that those values, it sounds to me, I'd say to a Trump supporter, it sounds to me like you believe that the values of the United States are not being adhered to. They're not being followed. The system is broken, that the values have been trampled on. And, huh. and that, will, that will startle someone. That would startle a Trump supporter, which means they want to hear you say more, which now you've got them. Okay. When the other side wants to hear more, when they're so startled in a pleasant way, they're startled into listening to you because you've caught them off guard. That's how you get started. You startle them. So that's step one. So step one is basically getting them to 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 listen to what you're going to say next. In other words, going back to the bank robbery, your question of well, how do you how do you propose we get the van is now doing two things. That one one is you're startling him because you're like, oh, hold on. You, you, you're going to get me a van, you're, you're, you're on my side here. And number two is you're also giving him control in the sense that you're saying, you know, what, can you help me? Can you tell me, you know? And so that's right. step one. What, what would be step two? Well, then, then actually what, what you want to do is you want to trigger them making you a good offer. Okay. And you, you trigger a, a good offer from the other side if there's one to be had. And I'll tell you what you have to get them to say and what sounds almost like it, but it's really bad. You want to get somebody to say that's right. If and most of the time we're fishing for your right, and and your right is fake agreement. Your right is as bad as a counterfeit yes. There's there's three kind of yeses. There's there's commitment. There's confirmation. There's counterfeit. And your right is a counterfeit agreement. Your right is what a husband says to his wife when he wants her to stop bothering him. <laughs> When he wants to go back to watching a ball game, right? When he does whatever he uh, men do that annoy their their significant others, mm-hmm. yeah. and there's no shortage of things on that list. Now we don't intend to change whatsoever. So when someone starts giving us a hard time about it, we look at him and we say, "You're right," and and they stop giving us a hard time because it was a fake agreement. Mm. But what you really need to get somebody to say is that's right, and. That's right is what we say when we believe something is the complete truth. And we just pronounce what we've just heard to be the truth, and then we embrace it. The truth will set you free. That's what we feel. You can't handle the truth. I can channel Jack Nicholson. I can, you know, I don't know who said the truth will set you free, but some civil rights leader, I'm sure, that at some point in time, who I admire. Uh So you're basically saying that... We're trying to get the truth. When you say that's right, you're not lying because you're saying that's right for you. Right. Yeah, well, what we feel when we say something is that's right, we feel it's a universal truth. It's actually in, in, in my book, um, my co-author, Tal Ross, who's a brilliant guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, thank God I brought him on board that, to help with the book because he's very insightful. And he said, explain to me why that's right works. And I said, I'm a practitioner. I can't explain why everything works. I just know what works. Yeah. And he said, I think it's a subtle epiphany. I think it's what people feel 
when they think they've discovered a truth, a universal truth, and it's their confirmation that they've just accomplished an epiphany. And if I'm responsible for your epiphany, then at that moment you feel bonded to me and you will do for me. It doesn't matter what, if it's little, if it's big, I don't care. I want good things to happen and that's how I make them happen. Okay, so what happened, let's say, for example, with the bank robber, when you, when you asked him that question, what was his response? Well, we go, we go, you know, he tries to put the burden back on us. Mm-hmm. And, but he, he, because he was instinctive enough to know that I had just burdened him. <laughs> so we talked back and forth a little bit. And, um, I, I had, uh, I did a, I did a, a negotiator's confrontation. A, a, a classic confrontation is not, you know, yelling at someone. We think confrontation is, you know, I hate you. I hate your family and you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. We think that's what confrontation. What confrontation is, is look at this and explain this to me in some fashion, some version of that. So uh, we found out who this guy was because we found his car. We found his van. Mm. And it was stashed nearby. He thought it was stashed in a safe place. And since it was stashed with hundreds and hundreds of cars, it took us five hours to run down the registration of several hundred cars till we found and talked to the owners, but we found one, we couldn't find the owner and Mm. we went to the owner's house and they described the owner. And then we brought the person from his house out to listen to our guy on the phone. He said, no, yeah, that's Chris Watts. I recognize his voice. Wow. So I, I'm on a phone with this guy and I do a version of look at this and tell me what you think. I said, there's a van out here and we've gotten a registration for every van and the last, this last remaining registration, we can't find the owner. His name is Chris Watts. And I go silent. Hmm. And then, then he started to, he, he felt like he lost control. He started to sputter and stumble. He said, okay. And that's when I, and I, instead of, I should have said, I know you, Chris Watts, because it's hard to deny a statement. It's hard to deny an observation. That's when I made the mistake of saying to him, Okay, you know, I heard you say you recognized the name. Are you Chris Watts? And that's when he said no. So mm. it was a problem. Right. But I said, well, you know, we started talking about the van. He said, well, you know, we have, we, have, you traced my driver away. And then I did what a negotiator's technique, a, a mirror. I said, we chase your driver away, which is a repetition of last three words. People always say more after you do that, they always say more. That's very and interesting. I said, we ch- I said, we chase your driver away? He said, yeah. When, when he saw the police, he cut and run. Which now we've, now we've got a spontaneous admission that there's a third person here that we don't have in custody. He was there and he ran. Mm-hmm. We had no information about that up to that point in time. That's, you know, again, the mirror, the negotiator technique of mirroring, which is just a repetition of a couple of words. It's real concise. People always give more information, and that's what this guy did. So in business, that's pretty. Uh, that's very helpful because if you're on the phone, let's say you're on a sales call, and someone says, "Well, the truth is, it's 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 too expensive, right?" And then uh, so by saying uh, it's too expensive, uh, is that what you would do? You would say, it, "Oh, you're saying it's too expensive," and then they would say, "Yeah, because da 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 da," and you'd get more information. Exactly, and you did what you did just now would be perfect because. You can upward inflect to make it sound like a question. It's too expensive, which is what you did. Hmm. And they go on. You know, they might say, uh, and when people say it's too expensive, it's not necessarily that something's too expensive. They're saying they're not, they're not buying what they want to pay for. So they're more likely to say, well, yeah, what I really want is X, Y, Z. Hmm. Now they hone you in on what the real problem is. If you're getting what you feel you pay for, actually, if you're getting a good value for your dollar, you'll never say it's too expensive. So and sometimes somebody doesn't say that. They don't want you to drop the price. Mm-hmm. They probably want you to change the deal. And they may actually want you to t- change the deal in a way that's more profitable for you. And so that's why dropping a price is, is, is a first bad move. You know, if, if, it, if it was too expensive, if, if it's not the right fit, if whatever you're selling is not the right fit, dropping a price doesn't make it fit better. Right. So let's say, for example, I mean, you were selling me a guitar, right? 
and uh, and let's say it was it was one of these high end guitars and it was expensive. So how would you let's say if I said, well, that's too expensive, that guitar is too expensive. Would you what what would you do? Would you try and offer me a different guitar or try and sell me that particular guitar? Well, besides the mirror, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. If I don't get any more information out of that, I'd say, it sounds to me like there's something about this guitar you like. Hmm. Now, yeah. that's a straight observation of yeah. something that's pretty much indisputable because the guy ain't looking at the guitar, guy or gal is not looking at the guitar, unless there's something they like. So it's close to what they want. And if it if it's exactly what they want, I need them to repeat that. Because when they repeat it, it, the words are stronger. Words mm. out of the other side's mouth are always much more important. You know, you want the key words out of their mouth. Mm. If it's not, you know, maybe he guides me to another car, another guitar. You know, who knows? I don't know what the possibilities are. My profit margin on the other guitar might be higher. The other guitar might be um, uh, a guitar I'm having trouble selling anyway. But I'm now on, on, on a route to a more satisfied customer, which means there's repeat business. He's got to buy guitar strings. He's got to mm. buy picks. You know, in, in many cases, the follow-on business is more profitable than the initial business. Right. So I, want, I, I need that fit so that I get a satisfied customer that now gives me a, this, this business has, like, as they say, a nice long tail now. <laughs> you know, I continue to make money off this guy. Right. So going back to the bank robbery, now you've asked him the question, you've mirrored him, he's now told you about this third guy who's the driver. What now? What's the next step? Well, this guy, this guy gets, my first guy gets completely rattled. Now, there's two bank robbers inside at the time. One of, the guy, one of them has been tricked into this, this robbery. Yeah. And so I go back, I got I to keep him in, uh, feeling like he's in control. And what I do is I say, when we first started talking, you guys were talking about surrendering. I said, what's stopping you from coming out now? Mm. Now, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to go on to a full-on confrontation with this guy without making him more angry and more dangerous. Because we have hostages inside. And, it's, and we don't know the extent of the armament inside. So we have to assume that they're well-armed. The hostage takers are well-armed. And a hostage is, with the wrong word, we could get somebody killed. So I got to burden this guy in a way that I know is not going to escalate. And it's got to, it's, it's either a how or a what question. And now I'm hitting with a what question, you know, instead of saying, why aren't you coming out? Or why don't you come out? Cause why is an accusation? Why always makes people mad. Mm. I got to say what, what, instead of why don't you come out? I got to say, what's stopping you from coming out? Why, now, can he, I ask you a question, Chris? Why didn't you phrase it, what can we do to help you? Or something like, what can we do to make this situation better for you? Or what can we do to help you get out? Why did you say it well, like that? Because um, since I've, I, since I, he's already told me he wants a vehicle in a way he wants it, mm -hmm. if someone has asked me for something and I basically say no, and then I say, what can I do to help you? Mm. The other side's reaction is you didn't do to help me what I asked for. So don't mm. pretend like you're going to try to help me because that's a fake help. Mm. You know, hi, I want, a, I want a nice guitar. I can't give you that guitar. How can I help you? <laughs> well, you ain't trying to help me because I already told you what I wanted. and you're not doing it. So I'm, I'm intentionally steering away from the word help because help is often a trap. Mm -hmm. Because my idea of help and your idea of help are usually two different things, and it, it really is. It's another. It's another way of fake agreement. Got it. You, you've asked somebody for something, and they and they say no, and then they say, "How can I help you?" Well, you just you just shot me down. Right. So I, I need to focus at this point in time. I'm trying to box him in. I'm trying to get him to focus on what's stopping him. Now he might come out, come back with saying like, "What stopped me from coming out is you didn't give me what I wanted." Right. That's that's a possibility. You know, this is I'll like deal with that. This if, is like the situation with the guitar, where where I might say to the person, you know, what's stopping you from buying the guitar? And they may say, well, what do you mean? I just told you it's too expensive. Okay, and then then I then I come back. All right, so it sounds like there's another another avenue here that won't work. For you. Mm. 
Mm. You know, if we if we get there, you know, the conversation we're going through in our mind right uh, right now too is very interesting because our, as human beings, we're often scared to say things because we say, "Well, what if they say this? Now what do I do?" Right. Um, we're actually hardwired to see more problems than are there. That's why human beings have survived on this planet. We're hardwired to see thirteen out of the actual three problems we will face. Hmm. So, and and that's why we no longer pick up poisonous snakes, you know, because we say, oh, something that looks like a rope is going to bite me. I shouldn't pick it up. Mm-hmm. We see as human beings, and and that caveman instinct is still in our brain. It's called the amygdala. So we always see more problems that are th- than are there. Right. So what I what you need is a, a communication technique that probes those problems where you know. If it's a negative reaction, the negative reaction will be minimal or non-existent. So what my guy does, what Chris Watts does, when I say what's stopping you from keeping you from coming out, all he does is he refuses to come back on a phone. He puts a phone down Ooh. and he doesn't come back. So because he doesn't come back, uh, and I, to this day, I don't know what he said to the other bank robber, but the next time I call in, the other guy picks up the phone. Oh, Interesting. Now, normally, if you're negotiating and the other side switches negotiators, nobody switches to get nicer. Mm. They always switch to take a harder line. Mm -hmm. So this next guy's coming on the phone and he's trying to take a harder line. He he, He comes on the phone. He wants to know where the van is. But I'm now I got my full on late night FM DJ voice going. And also, you know, now I'm 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 kind of, I'm being very straightforward with him. And interestingly enough, ninety seconds into my conversation with this guy, he tells me he trusts me. Interesting. So I know that with that statement, if he trusts me, read between the lines, what's he really saying? I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared, and it's so far as at this moment in time, you might be the only person that can help me. That I can actually that, that keep me from getting killed. Right. Because what's he scared of? There's guys out there with really big guns that are pointed, putting little laser sights right on his forehead, as far mm. as he knows. So I'm now the guy, and I and I since I pick up on this, I start telling him that you know I'm his way out. Hmm. And then he starts talking to me about jail time. And so now my my statements to him are, you can't change, effectively, you can't change what's happened. You can only change where this is going. But I don't say it to him that directly. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you hit people with stuff directly. They they feel like you're forcing it down their throat. Yeah. You got to, you got they'll get to it quicker if you let them get there. Uh, I'd like to say the shortest distance between two points is not a straight line. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I want you to figure something out on your own and you'll embrace it faster than if I, t- there's actually some solid data. If I want to tell you something, I have to actually tell it to you 19 times before you'll accept it. Really? But if, yeah, but if I can get you to discover it, I can probably get you by questions, by tone of voice, open it to what and how questions. You know, observing the truth of the situation, I said to him, sounds to me like you don't want to be there. Hmm. You'll actually come to the conclusion much faster than the amount of time it would tell me to take you 19, tell you 19 times. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very time sensitive. You know, if it's, you know, I, I like stuff that works, that are hacks, you know, they're communication hacks. Yeah. If, if I get you to discover it, I can get you to discover it faster than if I tell you. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm impatient. I want, I want stuff my way sooner. Mm-hmm. So what happens next with this guy? Well, uh, we, we then, we then, we get to the point where um, he actually says, I, I say to him, you know, what's stopping you from coming out? He says, I don't know how I do it. <laughs> and now I've said, okay, here's how this goes down. And I begin say, telling him what it'll look like because I'm trying to I'm trying to put a vision in his head. So what's the, what a salesman does when he wants you to buy a car, he says, "Hey, look, can you see yourself driving around in this car? Mm. You know, can you see can you see pretty girls waving at you <laughs> when you're driving a sports car? 
you're trying to put a vision in people's heads. Right. As a hostage negotiator, I now paint a picture to him of what it looks like for him coming out safely. I, I actually try to do that really early because if I say, here's what it's going to look like when you come out, you know, they're going to say, I'm not coming out. And I'll say, I didn't, I didn't see you coming out now. I just want you to know what it's going to look like when you come out so that no one, so that you don't get hurt because mm. not getting you hurt is my number one priority. Mm. And, you know, I, I want to pick a point in the future that we can both agree on and we can both agree that he wants to live. So I am focused on making sure this guy lives. Right. So I, I paint the picture for him and then actually what ended up being the kicker on it was, and, and this is why I never negotiate alone. I always have wingmen who help me listen. They're not mm. there to help me with subject matter. They're there to help me listen. So one of my other colleagues, a guy named, a uh, special agent named Jamie Cedeno. Mm-hmm. Jamie heard something in this guy's voice, and Jamie hands me hands me a note that says, "Tell him you'll meet him out front," because this has all been over the phone. And this guy hasn't seen me, and he's and he's never seen me. Finally, I said, "I tell you what," I said, "If you want to come out right now, I'll meet you out front now." And this guy says, "Yeah, I want to end this stuff." He didn't say stuff, but he said, "Yeah, I want to yeah. end this." And as soon as I agreed to meet him out front, because Jamie heard it. Then he agreed to come out, and I and I and I got up and I put on some bulletproof gear. I went outside, and uh, there were a couple more glitches, but we got him out. He came out. Hmm. And what about the main guy, the the the, the Chris? Interesting question. <laughs> now, what in God's name is going on inside the other guy's brain? But right? can I can I ask you a question before you go further? Why didn't you use him as a bargaining chip? Why didn't you say you can come out as long as you bring a hostage with you or two hostages with you? You know, um, in these sorts of situations, uh, a thread is is better than a logjam, so to speak. Yeah. Is we want to? I want to start a behavior. We want to demonstrate to everybody there that a human being, good or bad, can walk out the front door and not get hurt. Right. So, if he comes out. Number one, there are fewer bad guys inside to threaten the hostages. Mm-hmm. Number two, the other bad guy sees another guy walk out safely without getting hurt. Right. And he and there besides their second concern after being worried about getting shot, their second concern is about catching a beating, as we would say in Brooklyn, which <laughs> I'm not from, but I'd spend a long spent a lot of time there. He's worried about catching a beat and coming out. He's worried about that mm-hmm. the police are going to take their nightsticks and do a tune on him. Yeah. So he needs to see someone come out who's going to be treated with dignity and respect. He's not going to get wrestled to the ground. He's not going to get thrown across the hood of a car. He's going to see somebody who walks out like a gentleman and gets treated with dignity and respect. And now the momentum is way in our favor if we can demonstrate these things to these guys. Mm. The subtle message is very strong. Right. So our guy comes out, and now we also have a source of intel who confirms for us who the guy on the inside is. Mm. He confirms for us how many people are inside, where they are, what kind of condition they're in, and confirms for us a certain amount of mindset certain mindset of our, of our remaining guy. Okay. And now we get back on the phone with our remaining guy and it's just a matter of wearing him out. And so, so what happened? How long did it take to wear him out? Well, um, he's still got three hostages inside and he's still trying to figure out a way out and he's trying to buy time. Hmm. So interestingly enough, while we're working on him to surrender, in order to regain control of the situation to make sure he doesn't get shot, he spontaneously agrees to give up a hostage. Because after all, he's got three, so he's got spares. Mm. So out of the blue, he offers to let a hostage go. In hindsight, I now know he knew this was buying him time. He's still right. very manipulative guy. He figures as long as the handcuffs aren't on me until they're actually on me, I got a shot at figuring this out. And in, in buying time, the other thing that he did was, um, you know, there was a movie, Martin Lawrence did a movie a long time ago where he, where he hit a, he was a jewel store thief, I think, and he hit a diamond 
in uh, an air duct in a jewelry store, and then he escaped, figuring he could get back to the diamond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this guy, what he does is, because the bank was under construction in the basement, he takes and he hides up several tens of thousands of dollars. You know, I don't think he quite hit a hundred thousand dollars, but he but he probably hit fifty, sixty grand in within the walls in a construction. Nice. And then he made another pile of money on the floor, and he burned a bunch of the money. So he's uh, trying to make it look like yeah, he burned all they, the money, if they but he's actually hidden it. I got it. Yeah. Very smart. Very smart. I love this guy. No, I hate him, but I love him. <laughs> nice. He, the guy was thinking two steps ahead all the time. So he's thinking like, all right, so uh, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't shot anybody. If I come out, I'm going to go to jail. I can mm. plead bargain it down. There's a pretty good chance that I'm not going to do that much time. He actually ends up doing 12 years after it's all said and done. Mm. But he figures if I stash this money in the walls, I can come back and get it. It's like he made his own safety deposit box in the walls. You know, he's got his own safety deposit box. And so worse comes to worse when he, if and when he finally comes out after he's had a chance to figure all this out. Mm. And before the day is over, he has let the two women go. Yep. And uh, about 12 hours after the bank uh, robbery started, which basically, uh, you know, I now know a typical situation like this, a lone individual can hold out in a place other than their home for about 12 hours. At about 12 hours, they get so worn down. Hmm. If it's not a place where they can take a nap, get some sleep, you know, take a break for an hour or so. 12 hours is about the limit any individual can hold out. And at about 12 hours, he agrees to come out. He's still got a hostage inside, but at that point in time, again, to try to maintain control, he spontaneously says, I'm going to come out at eight. Okay. And he walks out and, and the video of him walking out, it, it was fan, you know, it was really interesting because he comes out extremely slow. Um, it's, it's now, it's been dark for about two hours now. Mm-hmm. We got spotlights trained on the, on the bank. You know, he's surrounded by the SWAT team and he's moving real slow and he's looking left and right and left and right. With every step he takes, if there's if there's six inches of space in a line, he's going to be gone. He's going to try to make a break for it. Oh, wow. But we, you know, we keep we keep uh, the line is tight and nobody loses control. He slowly walks towards us and makes a turn where we tell him to turn and we put the cuffs on him. And he was then on his way to jail but he's out now yeah i have no idea where have, Chris you, have you gone today. have you gone to meet him say hi chris it's chris uh, you know the guy who you know <laughs> i bet i bet he listens to podcasts oh. you think he listens to podcasts oh my god chris watts if you're listening to this and hopefully you've changed your life over and you've started a business um you know meet chris voss who was the guy who helped you get out of there <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Oh maybe maybe he'll call in. Maybe yeah. maybe if he calls you or me, you know, you'll have us both on as guests someday. What do you yeah. think of that? Who knows? Right. <laughs> but I tell you one thing, Chris, if you're on the line, Chris Watts, if you if the money's still in the bank there, just you know, maybe uh <laughs> I'm just kidding. But <laughs> Chris, I have a question for you, because I'm a father of four children. And uh, this is going to be an interesting question for you. But my six-year-old boy, he is a nightmare to put to bed. So talk about negotiating. Me and my wife have tried numerous techniques to try and get him to go to bed or try to get him to, to listen to us. Um, have you got, I mean, what, would, what kind of negotiating skills would you use for a six-year-old? How do you negotiate with a six-year-old? Well, you know, th- these, these, these skills actually... All these skills will work on 13-year-olds pretty regularly because there was a lady that sent me an email not too long ago. Her 13-year-old wanted her to buy a video game, and she said, how am I supposed to do that? And immediately he offered to pay half. So somewhere between 6 and 13, I mean, I actually, I'd mirror with a child like that. Um, I'd use a lot of mirroring, uh, the, the stuff that wears them down, a mirroring wears them down. And then you, you're in a very you're in the same situation I was as a hostage negotiator. That's why we had SWAT teams. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I can't get SWAT teams on my six year old though. How funny! Well, yeah, well, either either you or your wife, one of the two of you, got to be the SWAT team. Uh, that's a bit freaky. You just said SWAT team, and I'm hearing like some sirens in the background there. What's going on over there? Well, they're after me. They spotted <laughs> me again, and it looks like I'm going to have to leave leave the state again before they catch me. And uh, by the way, are you married, Chris? 
Uh, I ha- there is an ex Mrs. Voss. An ex. So and how how is the negotiating with the wife? Any tips for the husbands on the phone or the or the wives for the husbands? Any tips on negotiating for the, with a spouse? You know, I and I, I got to tell you, um, one of the biggest fans of my uh, of of my book is is a woman who's an executive in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. because her uh, fiance took some training from uh, another member of my company, Brandon, my director of operations. And had read the book, and suddenly she liked talking to him all of a sudden. And she's like, it's really pleasant to talk to you these days. What the heck's going on? <laughs> and, she, and, and she told me, you know, once the guy stops trying to solve all my problems, you know, I just want to tell him about my day. And he tried to give me advice and tell me what to do and try to fix everything. Mm-hmm. When I just wanted to talk. She said, I love talking to this guy now. She's, she's buying the, my book. Never split the difference. She's buying it for the boyfriends and husbands of all of her friends. <laughs> That's brilliant. To get the guy to stop being a problem solver all the time. So, what is the book? I mean, what you know, for those listening? Obviously, the book is called Never Split the Difference, and it's on Amazon. I, I assume, right? It is on Amazon. Amazon has a great price. Okay, cool. So, what what is the book about? What exa- I mean, it's obviously about negotiating. What what are some of the key th- things that uh, our listeners can gain from reading the book? You know, it's it's about negotiating to have better relationships in your business and personal life and, and you know, to get what you want, which is not necessarily at the expense of the other person, and to have a great relationship and to maintain relationships and always leave somebody wanting to do business with you again. Interestingly enough, it's do you want to be Donald Trump or do you want to be Oprah Winfrey? <laughs> now, as good, much money as Donald comparison. Trump is worth, I guarantee you Oprah's worth more. Why is she not president? Let's vote for Oprah. Yeah, she, she, she's too smart to be president. <laughs> so what are but, the main differences know, and, between Oprah and, and, and Donald Trump? This is a good one. Well, and, and interestingly enough, I've, I've become friends with a woman who's worked, worked as a booker for Oprah for 17 years. And we've had some com- conversations about her. Hmm. And Oprah doesn't, Oprah doesn't take any stuff from anybody. Yeah. She, she, does, she does not tolerate nonsense from the people that she works for or with. Mm-hmm. Now, when did, and so that means she doesn't, tol- she doesn't tolerate nonsense from celebrities. And I would ask you, how many public feuds has Oprah gotten into? And the answer to that is zero. Mm. But wait a minute, how can somebody who doesn't tolerate nonsense never get into a public feud mm-hmm. and be successful and still be the person that everybody wants to do business with? Because... If you gave me the choice of whether or not I wanted my book featured on Oprah or whether or not I wanted to be involved in one of Oprah's business projects, mm-hmm. I think she could make me more money as a, as, a, as, a, as a colleague. Yeah. And you never hear about people who are unhappy with her because of the way she's conducted business. It's not possible that everyone has been happy with her. Mm. But the way she conducts business makes people want to continue to do business with her. And that and that's why I admire her in so many different ways. Hmm. So what would you say are some of the tactics, I guess, that she uses um, to avoid conflict with other people? Well, uh, you know, if somebody's doing something that's counterproductive and you want to say, you know, what's the matter with you? You're being an idiot. Yeah. You know, uh, I know for a fact Oprah said in protecting who you are, and what you stand for, this behavior is not helping you. Mm. Interesting. And that's the way she gets people to stop doing stuff. Right. You know, she can, she can, she respects a person and she, uh, you know, very much like I talked for earlier, she holds stuff up in front of people and says, take a, take a look at this. This, this is not helping you. This behavior is counterproductive to what you're doing. And, and I, and I know that she has in fact said things like that to people who were being difficult. You know, she, she doesn't call them names. She's, 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 she, she compares it to where they're going in their life mm-hmm. and points out to them how what they're doing is not going to get them where they want to be. And that's how actually, you know, you're very, you're very, you're helpful to people. You're on their side. You're seeing how they see things. Uh, and it's a tremendously effective way to, to hold bad behavior up to people and say, look, you, you can do this if you want, mm. but it, it doesn't seem to be in keeping with what you said you wanted. It's very interesting because it reminds me of a chapter in the book, uh, you know, uh, the seven habits of, high, of highly successful people. 
uh, by Stephen Covey. Uh-huh. So the I think the third, I think the third is, is seek for us to understand before being understood. Right. I think that right. pretty much sums it up, isn't it? It's just in every situation, like in a negotiation with a with a bank robber, or whether it's with your wife, or whether it's with the six year old, or whether it's with a guy on the phone who you're trying to sell something to seek first to understand where they're coming from and what they want before being understood meaning I, I feel like everybody wants to be understood that's all we want we all want to be understood right so i want what right, i right. want and you want what you want but if we both keep wanting what what what, what we want nobody's going to get anywhere but if i say well you know what i'm going to put aside my desires and my understandings and my you know want to be understood and i'm going to first try to understand you then I'm going to be a lot more successful. And that loops us back to exactly what we were talking er about earlier, because how do you know when you've met the first threshold of that you understand? Mm. How, you know it when the other person looks at you and says, that's right. Hmm. You've just achieved the, the goal that Covey set out for us. Seek first to understand how do you know when you understood? The other side looks at you, and they don't say you're right. They say that's right. Now, now you're getting someplace. Wow. That's very cool. Wow. I could go on for hours here, Chris, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, the show is a uh, is, uh, specific amount of time. But Chris, what about if, uh, if my listeners want to get in touch with you? and um, How do they get in touch with you? What's the best way? Best way is mm -hmm. to text... That's right, T-H-A-T-S-R-I-G-H-T, -T, no punctuation, no spaces. Text that to 22828. Text that's right, no punctuation, no spaces, T-H-A-T-S-R-I-G-H-T -T -T to 22828. And that will sign you up for our complimentary, completely free, twice a month negotiation newsletter, short, easy to read articles, Shows you uh, where you can get the book at the best price. If you want the book, continues to give you free information and keeps us keeps you in touch with different training sessions we're doing and the different negotiation courses that we teach and how you can get better at negotiation. Amazing. Chris, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. Thank you to all my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.